Have you ever noticed how many times in Luke's Gospel things seem to happen around mealtimes? You should, because the meal scene is more common in Luke than any other Gospel. Many are either during a festival or stories that end with a festival, like the prodigal son. But also this thing continues right up to the Last Supper, and finally on the road to Emmaus in chapter 24, with a simple meal of baked fish. It would seem to me that Jesus loved a party. It is one of the things that church needs to spend more time doing, in my opinion. I wonder how many churches this morning seem like a party. How many are places full of joy and celebration? Well, I'm hoping this morning that you will see why they should be and that you are part of this celebration. But in writing this, I was wondering, it made me think, how many of us be willing this morning to stand up here and share how we embarrassed ourselves at a party, either by accident or with some social faux pas? I may once or twice, occasionally, but I'll keep the details between myself, I think. Um, it seems funny to me this morning's reading almost seems to be full of Jesus giving us pieces of social advice about how not to embarrass yourself rather than giving us a parable. Well, fortunately we know it's a parable because Luke actually says it is a parable. So we should be looking for double-edged meanings. For sure, most of this chapter is about how people in Jesus' day jostle for position in the eye of God. It seems that they are so intent on pushing their own purity and keeping the law that, it's, that it also required them to point out those that weren't quite as holy as them. As we have heard in our reading, this included pointing it out to Jesus as well. These are precisely the type of people Jesus is talking about in verses 3 to 6. And Jesus is doing all the wrong things. Well, in their eyes anyway. He was touching the untouchable. He was associating with the nobodies. The section of Luke is where Jesus really starts to turn things upside down. So whilst our first little parable could seem uh, to be good advice, which it was, the more important meaning was more to do with pushing oneself forward in the sight of God. This wasn't so hard to do in Jesus' day, as there was quite a gap between the well-off, the educated, such as the Pharisees, those that you would presume had been blessed by God, and those who were poor, 
education. But there is also a wider meaning. You have to remember that whilst Luke is writing his gospel, that there were thousands of non-Jews becoming Christians. You might say they had entered the dinner party prepared by God. If you read through Acts, Luke's other great writing, you'll know that many Jewish Christians found the new converts difficult, if not impossible, to understand or approve. They were so keen to maintain their status as the people of God that they had trouble coping with the great deviation from how they thought things should be. Pride. Pride, the dark cloud on the horizon that often casts a dark shadow over those who think they are chosen by God. It is like once you believe uh, that you are favoured by God, you can forget that you need God's grace, mercy, love. And pride also implies that those who don't deserve it shouldn't have it. But what about the other parable now, reading? It too looks like good advice, doesn't it? Especially when you consider the way meals were eaten. Like I said last week, uh, Jesus is in small villages where everybody knows everybody else's business. Meals were eaten with the doors open and people would wander to and fro. But at the same time, we can't ignore what Jesus is saying. In particular, we can't ignore the need to care for the poor and the disabled. Our second story is quite obvious about people who rudely snub an invitation to a party. They make excuses. You know, the kind, you know, just wash the dog. Or mow up the mother lawns, which I won't truly mention to. Or I've just shampooed the carpets. Can't go out. Really, pretty weak excuses, weren't they? But the householder is determined to have guests. After all, the organi- after all the organisation of what was going to be a huge feast, even if the original guests have decided not to come. At the initial level, the meaning of this parable is quite simple, isn't it? Jesus had been travelling around Galilee calling people to God's great banquet. This is the moment, as I've often said, that Israel had been waiting for. At last, time has arrived. And the people of God, the first to be invited, need to respond. Yes, some do. But many don't. For many reasons. But others are more delighted to come. The poor, the disadvantaged, the disabled, they have responded to Jesus' invite. At the second level, as, they, as with the previous parable, is what this might mean for Luke in particular. Once again, as we have heard in the initial invitees, 
are the Jewish people waiting and waiting for the kingdom of God. Only what happens? When it arrives, when it is presented to them, when the time comes to respond, they are too busy, occupied with other things. However, we need to be a little bit careful. We can't press the point too much. As I've said, early Christians were also Jews. So we need to be careful that we don't overstate verse 24, that none of those who were originally invited will taste dinner. Because clearly, some did respond. But the majority of the nation didn't respond. Both in Israel and in the scattered communities in the rest of the world. But I suspect that from the early church it must have seemed that the message had gone out to the streets and the lanes of the world. And the people of just about every moral and immoral background of different cultural, social, ethnical, ethical backgrounds did respond. But there's also a third level to this second panel. It looks back to the challenge of the first. The party to which they were invited was Jesus' kingdom movement. This remarkable welcome to all and sundry. So, I think there's two very important messages for us. Firstly, Jesus spent his whole ministry trying to break through the obstacles that kept people from experiencing the love of God. The Pharisees, at verse 1, could watch him all they like, but the power of both his healings and his exclamation were too challenging for them. Their desire to put themselves in a position of importance at the expense of others is confronted with a love of all from God, equally, no matter who you are. And we as Christians are called to that same kind of love, to learn to depend on it, and to be generous in our sharing of it. The second issue is for us to work how we celebrate in our churches and in our families and with our friends. How do we celebrate God's kingdom so that people at the bottom of the pile, at the end of the line, who don't know God, how do we do it in such a way that it is good news? It isn't enough to say to ourselves that uh, we are the people that respond. That we are the people from the streets and the lanes that enjoy God's party. Yes, in some sense that's true. But party guests are also expected to become party hosts. That is the challenge. To live a life that looks like you're in constant party mode. Constantly celebrating the things of God, the things that God has done in your life, in such a way that it makes others want to respond to the invite. So, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to, you know, make an official edit that this week is party week. Party like Jesus. Party with those who are far from the kingdom of God. 
live life, live it, really live it. Live it like this is the best time of your life. Because basically it is. God loves you. And he wants you to join in an eternal party. An eternal party he has planned for you. For all of us. So live with the joy. Party like Jesus. Amen.